Hey, it's Will Friedle. And Sabrina Bryan. And we're the hosts of the new podcast, Magical Rewind. You may know us from some of your favorite childhood TV movies like My Date with the President's Daughter. And the Cheetah Girls movies. Together we're sitting down to watch all the movies you grew up with and chat with some of your favorite stars and crew that made these iconic movies happen. So kick back, grab your popcorn, and join us. Listen to Magical Rewind on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Brought to you by State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Had enough of those supplements that leave you feeling nothing? Symbiotica is your solution to great tasting all natural supplements that actually work. Crafted with premium plant-based ingredients, their products have no seed oils, fillers, or artificial nonsense. It's just pure goodness in every pouch. Try them out and actually feel the difference today. Visit Symbiotica.com and use code IHEART for 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Again, that's 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Go to Symbiotica.com. That's C-Y-M-B-I-O-T-I-K-A.com. This episode features stories about sex work that may be a bit too grown up for some of our younger listeners. Discretion is advised. The larger boats floating in the harbor had upper decks and more rooms to accommodate the clientele. Each boat was painted in bright shades of yellow, red, green, and blue. Equally vibrant silk flags danced in the wind. Prisms of every color adorned the rose-tinted glass lantern shades. Aboard, two-string fiddles played while women dressed in embroidered robes sang. The Sing-Sing Girlies, as many called them, sang of love and war and beckoned the men to join them. In the early evening light, some said these boats were the most beautiful in all the world. Merchant, military, and even pirate ships pulled into the harbor, drawn by women and their songs. Men who worked in the factories along the harbor often lined up to board the small boats. Diplomats and other high-ranking officials sought out the larger and more expensive ones. While some called them flower boats, others referred to them simply as pleasure boats, or more bluntly, floating brothels. Parents who could not afford to feed their families sometimes sold their daughters to the boat owners, who promised to feed and clothe them and give them a place to sleep. The girls, who could be as young as 13, began work around 5 or 6 in the evening, continuing until the early morning hours. The more prominent boats catering to the affluent men served food and drink. Their owners provided enough girls to fulfill every man's desire, from a dinner companion and discussion partner, to singing and dancing, and sex. If the girls didn't contract syphilis, for which there was no cure, they hoped to attract a wealthy man who might keep her as his mistress. Otherwise, once they grew older, the brothel owners discarded them, leaving them with little money in a world where men dominated the workforce. Canton flower boats served only Chinese men. Western men and other foreigners were sent to the lower-class brothels at Wampoa, often run by the poorest families. These women shared similar stories with others around the world. Without equal rights and pay, women had little opportunity if they were born into poverty or a lower class. For the poorest women in Canton, they could work 16-hour days in factories for pay that wouldn't be enough for food or rent, or they could find work in a brothel. 
During the golden age of pirates, research suggests that one in five women living in ports and harbor towns were sex workers. Both pirates and sailors alike frequently emptied their pockets to spend time with them. Others were said to pay 500 pieces of eight just to see them naked. A woman's ability to earn a living relied heavily on her youth and her looks. As they aged, any chance of a better future grew dimmer by the year. But in China, one Sing Sing girl set her sights on a better future. And as we'll soon discover, her light shone brighter than all the lanterns in the harbor. I'm Aaron Mankey, and welcome to Pirates. In 1788, Ching Shi's family needed to supplement their income, which meant forcing their 13-year-old daughter to become a sex worker on a Cantonese flower boat. Within a few years, her beauty had made her highly popular with the more elite customers, and by 1801, she had worked her way up to Madame. Although no longer one of the regular girls, Ching Shi still kept an eye out for a better opportunity. And in 1801, that opportunity sailed into harbor, flying a pirate flag. Zhang Yi's fleet of ships each flew a red flag, making them stand out among other pirate ships. While black flags were the common calling card for pirates, red flags were worse. In pirates and maritime lingo, red flags meant that the captain and crew would not negotiate, nor offer mercy or pity to targeted ships. Zhang Yi's fleet was sizable, over 200 ships in fact, although his power extended well beyond that. He commanded upwards of 40,000 men across 600 ships. And while he controlled the Red Fleet, he entrusted other pirate captains with the white, green, yellow, blue, and black fleets. Zhang Yi had not only built a formidable armada, but he also had created and ruled an entire pirate confederacy. The colored flags also announced to his captains that ships flying certain colors belonged to the confederation and should not be attacked. Instead, his fleet sought out merchant ships for their silk, gold, spices, and other cargo. The pirates also ran a protection racket. Any village that didn't pay protection money found itself targeted for a raid. Pirating had been the only life Zhang Yi knew. His father had been a pirate as well as the men before him. Most of his fleet consisted of large cargo ships, otherwise called junks. Each 80-foot ship was capable of carrying approximately 800 pounds of cargo, and housed about 40 cannons. Zheng Yi had become one of, if not the most powerful pirate to sail the South China Sea, and he was about to meet the one person who would take the pirate confederacy to an even higher level. It's said that when Zheng Yi visited the flower boat Qing Shi worked on, her beauty and spirit captivated him. But it was her reputation as a shrewd businesswoman that might have intrigued him the most. Word of her financial prowess had traveled far and wide, as did her guiles in wielding power over influential men. The pirate king was so enchanted with Ching Shi that he proposed to her right then. She would accept, she told him, but only if he gave her 50% of his finances and partial control over his entire fleet. It was a bold move, and one Zheng Yi might have walked away from. Fact and legend blur here, and historians have debated over two different outcomes. One is that he ordered his men to kidnap her, and the other is that he agreed to her terms. Either way, the outcome remained the same. Jing Shi got what she asked for. If Zhang thought his new bride had spirit, though, he wouldn't be disappointed. She worked alongside him, growing his empire. She instituted codes. Acts of loyalty were revered above all else, and highly rewarded. If her husband went to sea, she went with him. 
She learned everything he knew about steering a ship and managing a crew. When it came to women aboard the ship, Ching Shi didn't subscribe to many pirate and sailor superstitions that women were bad luck. However, she did implement a code of conduct that she expected the men to follow whenever they had attractive female hostages on board. Men were castrated or hanged for committing sexual assault. Chances are that Ching Shi survived horrors in her own time working on the flower boats, which would explain her insistence for punishing crew who committed violence against women on board. Other rules were broader and assured complete compliance among the crew. Any crew member who refused to follow an order faced immediate execution. Bounties had to be shared. Anyone hiding treasure for themselves risked losing an appendage. Rule breakers were flogged, kept in irons, chastised, or even quartered, depending on the severity of the transgression. But while her rules and codes were strictly enforced, she made other, kinder changes as well. Changes that won over not only Zheng Yi and his crew, but many others as well. As I said before, while rule breakers suffered her wrath, Ching Shi made sure to treat and reward the most loyal men exceptionally well, setting an example for all the others. Before long, she grew her husband's confederacy to over 1,800 ships and nearly 60,000 pirates. Many of those men had come from Vietnam, hoping for a better life. Soon, the pirate couple had created the largest and the most formidable pirate fleet in the world. However, not all was well. You see, the couple had failed to conceive an heir to their pirate kingdom. Together, though, they found a solution. A 20-year-old captain aboard one of the Red Fleet ships had proved himself worthy and loyal. Chung Po denounced his own family and joined Zheng Yi's, making him second in command. The adoption raised questions among the crew. Chung Po was a full-grown man, after all, not a child. Ching Shi was clever, though, and the move proved more of a strategy than anything remotely maternal. Without a male heir, Jing Yi couldn't pass along his power and wealth should he die. And as a woman, that would leave her in a tenuous position. But threats to their dynasty came from outside forces as well. Governments from around the globe set out to destabilize their fleet. Portugal, England, even armies in China saw the ever-growing pirate confederacy's rising power and vowed to break it. Despite government attempts, though, the Confederacy continued to remain untouched until one day in 1807. That's when Jing Yi went on a hunting trip off the coast of Vietnam and left his wife and newly adopted son in charge. It's said that a terrible storm swept him off the deck and out to sea. Suddenly, Ching Shi was a widow. Now, normally, male heirs took over and the widow was expected to retire from the public eye. But Ching Shi had planned well, and she was far from retirement. Jing Yi had a living nephew, you see, and a few male cousins, who all made it clear that they wanted to control the Red Fleet. Other members within their confederacy also vied for power. All challenged Cheng Po's place. But Ching Shi had no intentions of handing the fleet over, either to relatives or traitorous upstarts. Her lieutenants and Cheng Po supported her bid for power, securing five of the six fleets. But to solidify the Red Fleet's allegiance, she needed a different relationship with the new patriarch and former second-in-command, Chung Po. The best way to do that, she decided, was to marry him. Within a couple of weeks after her husband's death, the two were wed. Their union asserted the couple's combined power within the Confederacy and won loyalty from her dead husband's relatives. Ching Shi had the captains who had sought to overthrow them captured. To demonstrate what happened to traitors or anyone who might attempt another coup, 
she had the men publicly executed. To keep tight control, she created a new rule. All business transactions had to be approved through her. This tactic kept her in charge of all the finances, and therefore kept the ultimate power in her hands alone. The fleets continued to grow and thrive, and by 1808, the Red Fleet attempted to dominate the provincial salt trade. According to the legend, the Red Fleet knew of every ship that sailed in the South China Sea. Ships passing through that escaped attack could count their blessings, but no ship passed without paying a tax. Every move, every attack went through Cheng Shi. She insisted that all bounties were inspected. The fleet's bookkeeper, who reported directly to her, entered every item into the ledger. The fleet's island fortress made launching attacks easy. The assault on passing ships continued, even on Chinese government vessels. Eventually, the government controlled just four of their original fleet of 270 ships. And all those ships carrying salt paid the fleet taxes in order to transport their cargo. But salt wouldn't be the only resource taxed. The Red Fleet charged fishing vessels anywhere from 50 to 500 Spanish silver dollars for every trip they made. China might have had an emperor, but Qing Shi ruled the South China Sea, and her power continued to soar. To all who came across them, the Red Fleet seemed unstoppable. Before long, the pirates had set up tax offices in major port cities, run by agents Qing Shi kept on friendly terms. As a brilliant strategist, she coordinated every attack, going over the smallest of details to ensure success. Aside from merchant vessels, garrisons became her favorite target. Her men would simply overpower the military base and take what they needed whenever they wanted. In September of 1809, Qing Shi's men captured an East India Company employee. Later, after his release in December, he would report that the Pirate Queen commanded over 80,000 men. Qing Shi and the Red Fleet made trade and safe passage for merchant ships nearly impossible. China's emperor could no longer ignore such a threat. Mostly, though, the idea that a woman with so much power was out there just infuriated him. The land, sea, people, and resources should belong to him. At first, he offered amnesty to the pirates, hoping to break their loyalty to Qing Shi. While that might have made a dent, the offer alone wouldn't be enough. The emperor discovered that the pirates had severely strained relations between China and other countries. Officials in Canton entered into international negotiations, finally accepting help from the British and the Portuguese. In September of 1809, they asked the British to rescue a few ships coming from Siam carrying valuable tribute. And the British agreed. On September 15th, the Mercury set sail with 20 cannons and 50 volunteers. Meanwhile, the Chinese government signed a lease for Portuguese man-of-war ships to sail with the Cantonese Navy. When it finally happened, the attack on the Red Fleet was brutal and swift. Although the pirates had beaten the Portuguese back twice before, this time they arrived with ships and weapons far superior to the Red Fleet. Unable to respond with the same force, Qing Shi understood her time of reign had come to an end. As she watched the Portuguese destroy one of her ships after the other, Qing Shi had no choice but to accept the emperor's offer of amnesty. Of course, under one condition, that they meet to negotiate the terms. Cantonese officials agreed. Those along the banks had to be stunned by the sight. 260 of Qing Shi's vessels, with 14,000 of her men aboard, sailed into the Pearl River. After docking, Chung Po and a handful of his lieutenants were sent on shore to begin the negotiations. 
Things didn't start off well, though. They rejected the governor's general request that the fleet turn in all their ships and that all the men aboard live on shore. For weeks, the negotiations continued, before eventually just stalling. Finally, unarmed and unaccompanied, Ching Shi visited the governor general's office herself. While most pirates might be lucky to talk their way out of a noose, Ching Shi negotiated well, getting most of the things she wanted. In the end, Chung Po kept 80 ships in his command. In addition, he and a good portion of his men were granted positions in the Chinese Navy. Ching Shi and her men were also given everything that they looted, making many of them exceptionally wealthy. And it seemed that smoother waters were ahead. Over time, Chung Po was named captain of the Qing Dynasty's Guangdong Navy. And as for Ching Shi, she gave birth to a son in 1813, and eventually even had a daughter. Though she was no longer a powerful pirate queen, her new life seemed to be going rather well. However, in 1822, Chung Po was lost at sea. She had lost both of her husbands the same way. Once again a widow, Ching Shi opted to move on with her life. She relocated to Macau with her young family and opened a gambling house with her immense wealth. Eventually, she even opened a brothel, ending her journey where she had started. Well, except that she had done it all on her own terms. And although she had aged, that spirit that Jing Yi had first noticed on the flower boats many years before was clearly still there. Having done what she had set out to do and changing history to boot, Ching Shi lived out the rest of her days in luxury. Although her husbands had been famous and formidable pirates, their achievements paled in comparison to hers. In 1844, at the age of 69, Ching Shi passed away in her sleep, wealthy, comfortable, and very much at peace. We've all heard a superstition or two in our time. Walking under a ladder or breaking a mirror are considered bad luck. Throwing salt over your shoulder wards off evil, perhaps even the devil himself. And when it comes to bad luck on ships, there's no shortage of superstitions. From navy to merchants to pirates, a single misstep could endanger the ship and all who sailed upon it. We've probably all seen the movies where sailors encounter sirens, mythical femme fatales whose song lured men to their death by crashing the ship on jagged rocks. Killing an albatross was also bad luck, for the crew and, of course, for the bird. And although it wasn't universal, a voyage that started on a Friday was likely to be doomed. Red skies in the morning meant a dangerous day awaited the sailors. Whistling challenged the wind and conjured storms. No one dared say the word drowned or goodbye for fear of bringing bad luck. And oddly enough, bananas on a ship were also considered bad, although there's no explanation as to why that I can find. To ward off evil, sailors had patron saints like St. Nicholas and St. Elmo. Mermaids could either be helpful or harbingers of bad luck. And black cats, while bad luck on land, were often considered good luck on ships. The cats hunted rodents, and rodents ruined grain on ships and spread disease, so it's easy to understand how this superstition has some truth to it. But not one superstition seemed as pervasive or universal as women aboard ships as symbols of bad luck. But we already know women pirates who did rather well. Ching Shi, Anne Bonny, Mary Reed, for starters. And while Jing Yi and Captain Jack Calico felt at ease with women aboard, pirates like Blackbeard strictly forbade them. It's not clear if he prohibited women because of superstition, or because they were a distraction, or maybe just both. 
women sometimes disguised themselves as men to gain passage on ships. And of course, women traveled on ships as passengers. Since travel by sea helped to establish colonies in the new lands, it's probably safe to say that enough ships carrying women did not end in disaster. There are even reports of sailors throwing women overboard in a misguided attempt to save the ship or themselves. And this leaves us to wonder if the act was based on superstition or if they looked at women as cargo and extra weight. So, where did the superstition come from? Well, it might just date back as far as 1379. Thomas Walsingham, a 14th century priest, wrote that a baron once kidnapped 60 women from a convent. Once he and his men had the frightened women aboard their ship, they set sail from Southampton, England, to Brittany, France. According to the story, it was December, and a winter storm blew in from the west. With the ship in danger of sinking, the men began tossing cargo overboard, potentially to lighten the ship's load. And when their predicament didn't change, they tossed the women overboard as well. Sadly, the ship sank anyway, and the Baron drowned as well. Wherever the myth truly came from, and regardless of who believed in it, superstition alone made women like Ching Shi the exception, rather than the rule. It's a very modern idea to imagine piracy as purely a man's world. I hope today's exploration of Ching Shi's thrilling life and accomplishments helped you see how wrong that assumption is. But we're not done just yet. We've got one last tale of ladies on the high sea in our cargo hold. And if you stick around through this brief sponsor break, my crewmate, Ali Steed, will tell you all about it. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. Had enough of those supplements that leave you feeling nothing? Symbiotica is your solution to great-tasting, all-natural supplements that actually work. Crafted with premium plant-based ingredients, their products have no seed oils, fillers, or artificial nonsense. It's just pure goodness in every pouch. Try them out and actually feel the difference today. Visit Symbiotica.com and use code IHEART for 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Again, that's 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Go to Symbiotica.com. That's C-Y-M-B-I-O-T-I-K-A.com. Hey everyone, it's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for up to half the cost. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Savings based on cost of Consumer Cellular's single line 1, 5, and 10 gig data plans with unlimited talk and text compared to lowest cost single line postpaid unlimited talk text and data plans offered by T-Mobile and Verizon January 2024. There are always firsts in history. First men on the moon, the first European ships to arrive in the Americas, and New England's first and only female pirate. Rachel Schmidt was born in 1760 on a farm in Carlisle, Pennsylvania. Her parents were farmers by trade and Protestants by religion. Though she spent her childhood among the barns and the fields, she loved the sea. At 16, she left home to make a new life by the waterfront 
Her love of the water also led her to another kind of love, a fisherman named George Wall. Rachel's family disapproved of George, but despite her parents' objections, she married him, and the two went off to live near Boston. Like many young couples, they struggled to support themselves. George continued to work as a fisherman, and Rachel found employment as a maid to a family on prosperous Beacon Hill. Fishermen didn't make a lot of money from long, backbreaking, and sometimes deadly work. Brutal storms capsized boats, and boat owners looking to save some money didn't always keep fishing vessels in the best condition. And of course, there were the pirates. The couple's life was about to change, though. One night, George returned home with five other sailors and their woman companions. They had a great idea, and they couldn't wait to tell her about it. They could all be making a lot more money as pirates. The group convinced Rachel to leave a maid's life on land behind for a life of adventure at sea. But to make their plan work, they would need a ship. Buying one was completely out of the question. So the group stole a small ship named the Essex and headed offshore to the coast of New Hampshire. The ship's size could hardly be considered a threat to other boats, so the crew had to get creative. No stranger to what bad weather could do to ships, the fishermen came up with a plan. The crew set to work on the ship, making it appear storm-battered, though it remained totally seaworthy. The next phase required them to wait for storms. After the worst of a storm had passed, they strategically placed the ship offshore and set the trap, using Rachel as bait. While the rest of the crew waited below deck, Rachel called frantically for help flagging down any passing ships. She played the damsel in distress flawlessly. Upon seeing a young and very pretty woman stranded on a broken down vessel, sailors were more than likely to come to her aid. She kept the attention focused on her while the unsuspecting sailors pulled alongside the Essex. Once the ship docked and the sailors boarded, George and the crew emerged, taking the rescuer's crew by surprise. The scheme usually went according to plan, and the group robbed dozens of ships, breaking in $6,000. That's about $114,000 today. In the process, they killed 24 sailors, and it didn't take long for the locals to start spreading word about a band of pirates luring in ships with a beautiful woman. All good things must come to pass, and the crew aboard the Essex became victims themselves when George made a navigational error. They were out at sea when a storm hit, and the miscalculation caused the Essex to capsize. Rachel and the others swam to safety, but George drowned. Without a ship, the crew disbanded, each going their separate ways. Rather than go home to her family, Rachel stayed in Boston and returned to working as a maid. While everyone knew of her escapades aboard the Essex, no one paid her much attention until she began her side hustle of stealing from ships docked at the harbor. She even boldly robbed people of influence, like a patriot friend of John Adams. Even multiple arrests for theft and larceny didn't persuade her to give up her life of crime. In fact, she returned to a life of piracy once more. Well, as a highway robber, which is pretty much like a pirate, just on land. On March 18th of 1789, Rachel reportedly attacked and robbed 17-year-old Margaret Bender. Rachel was arrested and went to trial on August 25th, she admitted to her crimes of piracy and theft, but denied assaulting Margaret Bender. The jury came back with a guilty verdict, and Governor John Hancock signed her order of execution. 
28-year-old Rachel was hanged in Boston Common on October 8, 1789. Aside from being England's first and last woman pirate, her death earned her another place in history, the last woman to be executed in Boston. Pirates was executive produced by Aaron Mankey and narrated by Aaron Mankey and Alexander Steed. Writing for this season was provided by Michelle Muto with research by Alexander Steed and Sam Alberti. Production assistance was provided by Josh Thane, Jesse Funk, Alex Williams, and Matt Frederick. To learn more about this and other shows from Grim and Mild and iHeartRadio, visit GrimAndMild.com. Hey guys, back at the playground again, huh? Yep. You know what this playground could use? A wine country. Heck yeah, and some waves. So we could go surfing. Oh, <laughs> ah, love that. A redwood forest would be cool. I'm in. Ah, ski slopes. Let's do it. Um, can a girl go shopping? Yeah, baby. Wait. Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. You never want to find yourself out on the water fishing without the essentials. So it's best to always pack a Columbia PFG Solar Stream Elite hoodie to protect against the sun. I mean, it provides great protection, and it's really breathable so you don't get hot. That's a win-win. Columbia PFG has a lot of great gear. So before you head out on the water, head over to Columbia.com slash PFG to shop their performance fishing gear. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles, ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee visit rightrug.com that's r-i-t-e-r-u-g.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you 24-month financing is available with approved credit for 90 years we've been right here right now right rug flooring